Mosaic, it is good to see you. If you're a guest, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, pumped that you're here this morning with us. We are in a series called In Lincoln As It Is In Heaven. And this morning, we continue a conversation that we've been in around the kingdom of God and the church's role in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and that might sound kind of out there, depending on where you're at. And, and in a sense, it kind of is. It's pretty big. Um, if you're with us and, and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, you're kind of checking this out or, you know, just kind of wading in and not really sure that you buy this. Uh, just so you know, this morning, like, I'm just admitting on the front end, like, this is a big conversation that in some ways it's, it's, it's up here, but we got to have it because it's meant to be down here. Right? It's not going to be a sermon about like five ways to enhance your marriage or your dating life or anything like that. Uh, it's bigger than that. Okay? And, and it's kind of an internal conversation. But it's so good, I think, for you to listen into, even if you're a skeptic or whatever, um, because you get to listen in to really, this is like the big why is what we're talking about. Like, why in the world are we here? Why does the church exist? What is God up to and what is our part in it? And so as you weigh this, I don't know that there's more important questions for you to be considering and for us to be answering uh, as you listen in. So just know that on the front end. All right, this morning I've got a a fishbowl up here uh, with me. And uh, I'm going to use this to, to illustrate what we're talking about this morning. Uh, two years ago or so, I was out on a daddy-daughter date night with our girls. And I don't know what sparked the idea, but I got inspired and we were out. And I turned to our girls and I said, hey, do you want to go get an aquarium and fish for our house? <laughs> to which they said, ah! You know? uh, so we went. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you know, we're going to get a, a fish bowl and, and some fish. And you know, it'll probably be 20, 30 bucks. And that'll be that. I think I walked out of Petco like with a $200 receipt. I, I, I didn't quite understand everything that went into having an aquarium. So I had to get like the filter and like all this stuff to like pump out the water and clean it and stuff to treat the water, like the food, I mean all types of stuff, and then buy the fish. Um, and then I kind of splurged uh, with this whole SpongeBob motif um, because the girls were freaking out about it. So we got like a little mini SpongeBob house and a little mini Squidward house and a little mini... mini uh, uh, what's it called? Um, crusty crab for the fish to lounge in. Um, and so we go home. And so we get it all ready. And the girls, you know, like the excitement is building. We treat the water and get everything set. And they're so pumped. And, and we plunk the fish in there and watch them explore their new home. And everything's awesome. Um, and then to our horror, in the hours that followed, the fish started swimming kind of funny. You know where they do that thing where they start to turn, like upside down? But then they like fight it. They're like... You know, and just keep doing this thing. And the, the girls are like, Dad, what are they doing? So they're doing their back float, you know, which isn't a lie technically. But we watched as one by one, like in the coming day, they all died. Every single one of them. So now we're having conversations about life and death, you know, with our girls. So I go back to, the pet, to Petco, tell the guy what's going on. He's like, you need to bring a sample of the water. We need to test the water, see like the toxicity levels, and then we're going to have to treat it. And so we did this. Treated it at all, you know, he gave me all this stuff, and then he sent me with another batch of aquatic life to destroy. And we went home and did the same thing, plunked the fish in there, and we watched the, watched the fish swim around, and the same thing happened. One by one over the next, like, two days, uh, they all died. And so um, <laughs> we learned the hard way that it's, it's actually really hard to sustain life in a fishbowl. Right, it's not a natural environment. It's not like when you go to the lake. There's no natural like cleaning or, or feeding or, or filtering system. Um, got, you know, fish weren't created to live in a fishbowl or evolution. They haven't evolved to be able to live in a fishbowl yet. 
um, it, 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 it's stagnant. It's a stagnant environment. And so you've got to filter it. And work, it, it's hard. It's, like a, it's a tough losing effort oftentimes. All right, and in fact, this is kind of crazy. You actually have to flip out like 50% to 100% of the water every couple days just to keep them alive. Because right, if you don't, what ends up happening is the water becomes toxic. And when the water becomes toxic, as we learn the hard way, everything dies. All right, so I talk about this, I introduce this, because I want to use this um, to illustrate uh, what we're talking about this morning. Because I think when it comes to our faith, and when it comes to the church, and what we've been raised in, some of us, what we've been trained in, what we've been sold on, um, for some of us what we grew up in, is that we have done this with Jesus' church and our faith. Right, we have bought into what you might call uh, a fishbowl Christianity. Right, and the problem with a fishbowl Christianity is things like worship um, and mission right, and faith, it, it's all centralized in the fishbowl. Right, inevitably, everything come, it starts to revolve and center on what is happening uh, right here. Right, church becomes a place, a location, rather than a people, right? This is why we say things thoughtlessly, just part of our vocabulary. I'm going to go to church, right? I, I'm guessing we probably, most of us, just kind of unthinkingly say that. I'm going to go to church without thinking about the fact that you can't go to church because the church is not a location. It's impossible. I can go be with my church in the same way that I'm with my church when we share meals throughout the week, when we do life group and these different things. I can go be with my church, but I can't go to church. That is fishbowl talk. That's fishbowl mentality. Right, about eight weeks, I'm graduating from seminary. Six years, finally. Lots of people go to school for ten years, you know, called doctors, I know. Um, it's it's going to be really good to be done, but i got to tell you, right, most, of, most seminaries, what they're training guys like me in most seminaries, the traditional seminary program, it's all about the fishbowl. Right, so we learn, here's the programs you need. Here's the policies you need to set up in here. Right, here, here's how to feed them, here's how to organize them, here's how to care for them without killing everything. That's seminary. Right, and over the last decade or so, I've gone to a lot of different conferences all over the states, big ones, small ones. I've sat through keynote sessions and breakout sessions with guys from all different strands of our faith. Right, and, and I've sat through sessions where we've talked about things like you know, music strategy, uh, to church polity, to team management, um, to savvy marketing techniques, to social media strategy, to church planning strategy. Nothing that's wrong in and of itself. The only problem is all of that is about rearranging the fishbowl. That's really all it is. Right, and so you know, it's Sunday morning centric. It is church building centric. It's all about the fishbowl. Right, and here's what, I, what my concern is and what we've done in the process. If we have come to understand the mission of God in there, right, our vision for what God is doing in the world is about this big. Right, so for us as a church, you've got to know our number one core value, our first core value, we have five of them, is that mission is why the church exists. We believe that we have been placed here. Jesus is building his church, but it's not for the sake of his church. It's for the sake of the world. And we've been called on mission, right? But the thing is, when it comes to mission, mission can mean a lot of different things. Mission is like the, the big uh, buzzword in Christendom. I don't know if you know this. Um, if you're not in the church world, you might not know this. But tons of books every year coming out on missional this and missional that. Tons of conferences, missional this, missional that. Lots of churches in our city. They're kind of tacking on mission on the side. Everybody's missional now. It's really, really trendy. 
The problem is when we talk about mission, a lot, it doesn't, I'm learning, it, we don't always mean the same thing. In fact, we can talk about mission and be, mean completely different things. So I sat down with a, a leader of one, another local church here last month, and we sat down and started talking about what God's doing here and what God's doing there and, and you know, the mission that God has us on. And initially, we're both kind of assuming that we're talking about the same thing. But over the course of the next hour, it became very, very clear. We were talking about very different things, right? I left that conversation thinking, I don't know if I agreed with anything you said over the last hour. But we're both talking about mission, but in very different ways. And so when we talk about the mission of God, when we talk about the kingdom of God, what God is up to in our city, in our world, we need to get on the same page on this, right? Because unlike the pastor that I met with, when we talk about mission, mission is not, let's make sure our fishbowl is the coolest, like, let's make sure that our music, right, is, is rocking. We've got the best programs, the coolest pastor, the slickest logo, the sweetest venue. All of that is fishbowl thinking. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things. They're just not encompassing the mission of God in this world. Right? And my fear is in the process is that we have taken the mission of God and we have shrunk it down to something so small and we're missing it. Right, so to illustrate this, I want to share something with you that I got from a guy named Michael Frost. I've shared this before, uh, or his name before, because I want to be him when I grow up. That's still the case. Um, but he's hugely influenced my thinking on this. This morning, my hat's off to Mr. Michael Frost and a number of other people, but especially him. So here's what I'm concerned with in the process, that we have taken the mission of God and we've shrunk it down to primarily information. This is how we understand the gospel. God is up to here. Primarily information on how to get to heaven after you die. So we talk about mission. Oftentimes, right, we talk about evangelism. Nothing wrong with evangelism. It is a part of the mission of God. But we have shrunk it down to that. So go tell people that if they don't pray a prayer, they're not going to go to heaven, so they need to trust Jesus and pray this prayer. That's it. Right, but then we kind of tack on, there's like a footnote, you know, oh, and by the way, or a large footnote about increasing your personal happiness and success through God. Right, so you need to pray this prayer. Oh, and by the way, also your life is going to be, you know, more fulfilled, more happy, more blessed. It's going to be kind of like that, right? And then we have kind of, if, if we get around to it, there's a, there's a small footnote on, oh, by the way, God actually wants to change you to be more like him, right? And so we have like a little note on, on character development, and then there's a smaller footnote on like spiritual experience. So by the way, like, you know, you can actually experience the presence of the living God in your life. That's probably going to be a part of your journey. And then if we get around to it, there's even a smaller, tiny footnote about social, right, and global transformation. Right? It's almost like, oftentimes we don't even get there. Like that's like this tiny little small print subpoint that we may or might, may not get around to. Right? And again, don't hear me wrong on this. Is evangelism a part of the mission of God? Of course it is. Do we need to proclaim Jesus and share about him with an unbelieving world? You bet we do. But that is not all-encompassing of the mission of God. That is just a part of the mission of God. And when we make that everything, what ends up happening is mission just becomes about evangelism, and then we tend to shrink evangelism down to basically just inviting people to come check out our fishbowl. Right, you got to come check out our fishbowl. It is better than all the other fishbowls. Right, the music is better. We show Macklemore videos in our fishbowl. I don't know about yours. Right, the pastor is normal for the most part, you know. And that's essentially what it gets boiled down to. And I think most of the time what the unbelieving world does and we shouldn't be surprised by this, is every now and then they walk by and kind of peer in. They're like, ah, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and then they walk away. Right? And, and I want to suggest to you that God is inviting us to so much more 
than simply rearranging the fishbowl and inviting people to, to the fishbowl. So much more. In fact, I would suggest to you, and by the way, I could be wrong on this. There's always that chance that I'm wrong on anything I'm talking about. But this, for me and my journey, this is, this is where I'm at, and I'm convinced of this. Is that the mission, the larger mission of God, is actually all about social and global transformation. That, the, that God is doing something so much bigger that is all-encompassing of the world. And that Jesus came to usher in something that would, that would work its way throughout the world, slowly but surely, eking its way into the crooks and crevices of this world through human history. And we have been invited to participate in that mission. Um, and you may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I've got a few quotes for you. All right, Tim Keller, you've heard me quote him a time or ten. Um, this is what he says. All right, the gospel, the gospel is the good news that God himself has come to rescue and renew, to rescue and renew all of creation through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. All of creation. Does that sound like fishbowl talk? To rescue and to renew all of creation. Seems a lot bigger than that. And a lot bigger than this to me. Right? Scott McKnight is a New Testament scholar and professor in Chicago. And he writes this. The gospel is the work of God to restore humans to union with God and to communion with others, right, in the context of a community for the good of others and for the church and for the fishbowl. No, for the world. Right, God is up to something so much bigger, guys. We are invited into something so much bigger than simply sitting down and saying, hey, if you pray this prayer, someday, one day, you can go to heaven. God is something up to something much more expansive than that. All right, one more quote. Leslie Newbegin says this. He says, The Bible is concerned with God's purpose of blessing for all the nations. It is concerned with the completion of God's purpose in the creation of the world. It is not, to put it crudely, concerned with offering a way to escape for the redeemed soul out of history, but instead with the action of God to bring history to its true end. All right, and so for us, right, our part in God's unfolding mission is, is to ask, again, some dangerous questions that I've alluded to before. Questions like, Lord, right, what does it look like for us, your people, to participate in bringing history to its true end here in our city? All right, God, what do you dream about when you dream about the renewal of all things as they were meant to be in our city, what does that look like? What does the kingdom of God look like right here? Right? And what is my part? And what is our part in that? Right? When, we, when we make the mission of God just out to be evangelism and pray this prayer and so one day you can go to heaven, Right, what we end up communicating about what we believe about the mission of God in this world is that essentially it's all about just waiting. Right, just waiting. We pray a prayer, one day we get whisked off to Never Never Land. Right, in the process, it's just, right, we just sit around, sit around and wait. Right, this world is so messed up, it's so evil, let's retreat to the fishbowl and just wait it out. Right, guys, our job is not to wait. Right? Jesus said the kingdom of God 
is where? It's, it's, over, it's over there? Pray this prayer and someday you can go there? No. Right? He said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, it's in your midst. The kingdom of God is slowly but surely growing out of my people to encompass the entire world. And it will change everything. I remember in Luke chapter 10, you know, Jesus is sending out the 72 uh, of his friends to go and to pronounce this message. Right? And I don't know if you ever thought about how strange this must have sounded. Perhaps it's about as strange as it sounds to some of us. Right? But they would go to all these you know, remote, unsophisticated, simple, rural villages in the middle of nowhere and knock on the door and say, hey, can, we, can I come in and eat? And, oh, sure, come on in and eat. And they sit down and share a meal and at some point say, I have a special message from you. The kingdom of God is here. Imagine what that must have been like. So they're sitting there at the kitchen table, like, like here? It, it, like at my table, like in my kitchen? Right? And why was this so, such a radical idea? Well, they right, were in a system where they believed if God's kingdom was anywhere, if God's presence was anywhere, like us, it's geographical. Right? It was in a fishbowl called Jerusalem. Right? The Temple Mount, the Holy of Holies. This was so strange to their ears. Right? And then Jesus comes, and he just, he blows all of that up. Right? Everything was changing. Right? Never again would it be God's presence is over there and not over here, and God's kingdom is over there, and it's not over there. Right? It was breaking in. You ever, you ever wonder why Jesus said, you know, don't bring any sandal, extra sandals, extra tunic, clothes, you know, don't, don't bring a purse or a bag with you. Just take what's on your person and go. You, you ever wonder why he said that? I suggest why I think he said that. Right, because back in those days, when you would go to the Temple Mount, and you would enter into the temple to worship Yahweh, you know how you, know how you did that? Right, it was bring no sandal, extra sandals, bring no clothes, bring no bags. You go into the presence of God with nothing. Right? This is so beautiful, folks. Jesus says, he is saying, when you go out and proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, I want you to go with the same posture as if you were going into the Holy of Holies. Right? What Jesus is saying is that now you are on holy ground everywhere. Everywhere. Right? It's beautiful. So different. Do you see how different this is than like the fishbowl stuff? Right, we retreat to the fishbowl, and that's where God's activity is, primarily or only. Right, when I'm, I'm disconnected from the rest of the world, when I'm just with my church, when I'm on my spiritual retreat or what have you, yeah, completely different. You know, John Wesley, famous evangelist, the Methodists are pretty big on him. You know, he, said, he said, the world is my parish. Right, and Jesus is saying, the world is my temple. Right, the kingdom of God is at hand. And through my people, I will slowly but surely usher it in. It starts out small, and it grows, and it changes everything. Now, now your kitchen table is a temple. Right, now your, your office is a place where the kingdom of God can invade. Your home, your neighborhood, where you, where you rest and where you play. God wants to be at work there, and he is. Whether you realize it or not, whether you believe it or not, and you've been invited to join him in that work. See, we have a modern misconception that I think we just need to drop kick out the window in the name of Jesus this morning, and it's this. It's dualistic, right? That retreat 
is time with God, right? Retreat into the fishbowl. Again, when I'm with my church on Sunday morning, that's time with God, right? When I go to the Christian conference, that's time with God. When I'm alone with my Bible open, that's time with God. When I retreat, when I go to the Christian concert, that's time with God, which is debatable depending on the band, um, <laughs> right? But that's, but that gets dualistic. And then engagement, all the other stuff is, is retreating, you know, it's leaving the fishbowl. When we serve the poor, Right, when, we, when we talk about Jesus with people who don't know him, when we fight against injustice, right, when we celebrate, when we play, when we laugh, when we're with our kids or with our neighbors, that that we are exiting out of the presence of God then, doing our extra missional work apart from him. Right? But then, boy, it's so spiritually taxing to be out of the presence of God. So I need to retreat again because in retreat, that's where I feel the warm fuzziness and that's where I'm, you know, I get fed and that's where God is. Right? That is, that is not... <laughs> That's not true. God is, God is re- in the retreat, but we have to come to, to flip this, all right? The retreat is time with God, and it is, right? But engagement is also time with God. You remember what Jesus said when he, at the sheep and the goats, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible. Jesus says, look, when you fed the hungry, and when you gave water to the thirsty, and when you clothed the naked, right, and when you gave me a place to stay, and when you visited the prisoner, you did that for who? For me. You did that for me. So when you serve the poor, it is an act of worship. Right? You are in the presence of God. Right? When you sit down with somebody who is at the end of their rope and you share with them about the person of Jesus and what he's done on the cross at Jake's downtown, right? Yes, may his name be praised, that you are in the presence of God, that that is an act of worship. Are you getting this? So different, so different from this. So different from this. Right, I could go all day. Right, the, the, I've, I've taught before on Jesus' first miracle. It's one of my favorites. Right, and I, I want you just to think about something with me for just a moment. Imagine that Jesus was who the Bible says he was. Just for a moment. Imagine that he was God in the flesh, divinity with skin on. Right, and that he was a part of God's plan as the hinge point of history to change reality as we know it. If that is true, right, for hundreds of years, Israel was waiting for this Jesus. They didn't know his name. They just knew that the Messiah would come, the king would come. They were waiting for hundreds of years, right? Creation, we're told that creation groans, right, in anticipation, the fulfillment of what God is doing. Creation waited for thousands of years, maybe more, right? If that is true, and then so Jesus comes on the scene, this one who would be the hinge point of history, who would change everything, Jesus comes on the scene, and he decides as his inaugural act to create a whole bunch of wine for a Galilean shindig, for a wedding, right? And not just any, he didn't just use any water, right? If you're familiar with this story, he has them fill basins that are used for ceremonial washing, right? These were symbolic of, the, you know, the, the Israelites, whenever they, they would be dirty, if they did all types of things, they would be... Um, yeah, they'd be dirty and they'd need to clean and do rites of, uh, kind of a rite of passage before they would go back into the temple of God. They had to clean themselves up. And that, those basins were symbolic of that separation. Right? God is over there and not over here. Right? That place is holy and this place is not holy. Right? Those people are loved and those who cannot go in are not. And Jesus takes all that and just destroys it. He uses that very water, 
<laughs> to invite into. I mean, he's not, it's just such a beautiful thing. What is happening here? Where the kingdom of God is bursting forth. All that separation stuff, all that God's over there and not over there, God's in the fishbowl, not outside of the fishbowl stuff, Jesus is just blowing that apart. Right? And so it shouldn't surprise us at the very, that's how he starts his ministry, and at the very end of his ministry, what happens when Jesus dies on the cross? What are we told that happens in the Holy of Holies that was to embody God's physical presence in this world? What happens to that great curtain separating God's presence from everything else? It is torn in two. So beautiful. What is happening in that? Is that the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is bursting forth. Right? That God is moving into the, the nooks and the crannies of everyday life. It is no longer the fishbowl. It is exploding outward. Right? It is so, so beautiful. Right? We do not simply worship God then on Sunday morning in Southeast High School. We do. Right? But it also means that we worship God throughout the week. We worship him here, but we worship him just as fervently when we lay hands on someone who needs prayer and we pray for them. Right? We, we worship him just as fervently when we serve the poor. Right? When we mentor you know, a, a, a young person through an organization like City Impact. Right? That we are worshiping God when we sit down on a curb on P Street right, and share a meal with a homeless guy. Right? Or when we adopt a child into our family who doesn't have a loving home. That these are acts of worship that God is present, that we are joining him in his kingdom work. It's so beautiful. Right? When you party with tax collectors, it's time with God. I love that. All right, so all I have to say, our job is not to retreat into the fishbowl and disengage. Right? We worship God here, but our role then is to follow Jesus into the darkness and engage. Right? To... to you know, if I was one for, for dramatic gestures, you know what I'd do right now? And if we had a bigger budget? I would take this, and I would hold it as high as I could in my hand, and I would let that sucker fall. And you would see just this explosion of bits of glass and rocks, right? And if it was a true fishbowl and there was water in there, you would get to watch, and you would see that water go into every little groove of the floor and just cover everything. Right, that is the movement of Jesus in this world. Right, do we gather? Yes, of course we do, but then we scatter. Right, do we worship God here? Yes, we do, but we worship him throughout the week right, as we join him in his kingdom work. I love, I love David Bosch's definition of mission. This is what he says. He says, mission is more and different from recruiting, recruitment to our brand of religion, to our particular fishbowl that we, are, that we like. Instead, it is alerting people to the universal reign of God. Right? It is going out into the world and, and where God is already at work, by the way, and giving voice and name and form to what God is doing. Right? And so I would say we do this two different ways. Right? One is, is proclaiming, uh, announcing the kingdom. Right? And the other is demonstrating. Right? There's a quote that's really famous in circles like this. You know, it says... Uh, Something to the effect of preach the gospel always and if necessary use words or something like that. I'm, I'm butchering it, but it's, it's about that. Um, and, and I used to love that quote. And, and there's a part of me that still does. I love like, the, the idea that we love so radically and so sacrificially 
that we are embodying the gospel. All about that is true. But what I don't like is the idea that we never have to use our, our words. That we never have to proclaim the name of Jesus. And I just don't think that's true. And the reason I say that is because we can go out and serve the poor, do some beautiful things. But people aren't just going to watch that and be like, wow, isn't God good? Doesn't Jesus reign? Right? Instead, they're going to be like, wow, Aaron's a really great guy. Right? And so part of this is announcing. We've, we have got to announce it. We have got to talk about it. Right? If we don't, that's just weird. Like, I love my wife. I talk about Megan all the time. I can't help it. How weird is it when we're like, Jesus, may your name be praised. All I need is you. And then we walk out of the fishbowl, and it's like, you know, <laughs> you don't say anything about him ever. You know, it's like we're embarrassed. It's like, this is weird. All right, so there is this announcement, right, as David Bosch talks about, right? We are announcing, alerting people the universal reign of Jesus Christ with our words. But then there's the demonstration. Right, you ever go to, uh, I don't know how you feel about the previews when you go to a movie, you know, you got like 45 minutes of previews. Let's keep getting longer and longer and longer. Um, I don't know how you feel about them. I actually like them because I'm like, if I'm going to spend 20 bucks to go to a movie or 30 or whatever, 40 with kids, I want to watch some previews and be in there as long as humanly possible. But you ever sit there and you're watching it, it when a preview, you know, every now you have those, those previews that are just awful and you're like, that's probably the only good parts of the movie and it still wasn't that good. No way am I seeing that. Right? When a preview does its job, Right? When, it, when a great preview is on, right, our, what's the reaction? Yeah. I want to go see that. Exactly. Right? I don't, it's like, man, Mark Wahlberg is punching people. I got to see that. I don't care if it's the same role. I don't care. I've got to see that. Right? When a preview is good, yeah, it's like, I've, I want to see that. We, we're going we're to go see that. Right? That, I would suggest to you, that's our call. That's our invitation is we get to together create previews of the kingdom of God that are so good and so beautiful. Previews of what it will be in its fullness when Jesus returns. So that people look at what we're doing and what we've got, and they say, I want that. I've got to see that. I've got to be a part of that. All right, one story, and then I'll shut up. One of the most beautiful stories um, that I've ever heard on this particular point uh, is a young man, about a young man named Abe uh, from Cambodia. And a few years before I heard his story, uh, he was a black marketeer. And so he had a, a bunch of guys who would go over to Thailand and they would rip off all this equipment and sound systems and stuff like that. And they'd, they'd smuggle it over to Cambodia. And then he would sell it for a profit. He made a lot of money. Well, then there was a, another person who wanted a piece of his action and so they called in the cops, and uh, if you know anything about Southeast Asia, you don't want to go to prison for anything. Um, so he, he actually, so he ran uh, from the cops, and he bunkered down in a small rural village to, to you know, let the stuff die down until the cops weren't looking for him anymore. And something happened while he was in that village that totally messed up his career. Uh, he met Jesus. And this dorky little pastor went up to Abe, the, the part over, you know, buttoned down, you know, to tie the whole thing and shared with this black marketeer, pronounced the reign of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and invited him into that. And so he became radically transformed by Jesus, but he didn't get this whole church thing. And so he's always asking questions, and eventually the pastor said, look, I can't take it with the questions anymore. You probably should just go to Bible school. 
So this guy goes to Bible school for three years, former Buddhist, black marketeer. And in the process, you know, he figures out, well, I can't really go back to doing what I was doing before. Uh, I guess I'll be a pastor. So he graduates with his little certificate. It's not a university or anything like that, not like a huge accredited thing, but he goes out, gets connected with the denomination, starts going to these churches and saying, hey, would you like to hire me? And of course, they're all like, no. <laughs> he didn't look like a pastor. He was like just all leather, the Bono sunglasses, right? Nothing changed about this guy, and they, they just kept saying no. Kept saying no. And so he tells this story about one day when he, he's down by, this, by the river, and, he, and he's just at his wit's end. He's just like, God, what are you up to? No one will hire me, and I can't go back to doing what I was doing before, and I thought maybe you wanted me to be a pastor, but I can't see the way forward. I've got a child on the way. What do you want me to do? And no sooner did he have that thought did he hear some commotion across the river. And there was a squatter village, a slum, right on the side of the river. And this convoy of military trucks came in, and they began announcing over the speakers to this hundreds of families, saying, you've got 30 minutes to get on the back of these trucks, and then we're bulldozing this whole area, as the bulldozers lined up. And so he's watching this, and he says, just all hell broke loose. If you know anything about slums, like parents don't know where their kids are. They're just running and doing their own thing. And so women are, like, crying out for their kids. Right? Dogs are barking. They're trying to scrap up whatever possessions they can carry. And 30 minutes later, they get on this truck, and, it, and they just start bussing all these people out, and the bulldozers come in and just destroy the area. Right? In the process, in this moment, Abe had a thought come to his mind. It's like the voice of God said, there goes your church. Right? So he hopped on his moped, and he followed them throughout the streets of the city out past the urban sprawl, out past the rice paddies, they go into the swamp. They take a left on this muddy road, out past the rice paddies, and they drop hundreds of families in the middle of the swamp and say, you can live here now. And so this man, Abe, goes home, and he tells his wife, who's been praying for him, because he had his last bout of interviews with some of the churches that day, honey, I got a job. And he takes his pregnant wife, and they moved into this swamp. Right? And the people did what the what poor people in Southeast Asia do. They got corrugated iron, bamboo, and they just built a slum in the middle of the swamp. And he's there, and he starts to ask some dangerous questions. He starts to ask, what does the kingdom of God look like here? And he thought, you know what, I bet in the, in the coming full kingdom of Christ, and he reigns fully, I don't think we'll be living on wet land. I think we'll be living on dry land. So he called up all of his buddies from Bible school. And he said, I need every able-bodied man that, you, that man that you have and their tools, and I need you to meet me in Andong. And they went out there, and together with all these men from this village, they, they built these giant ravines to begin to drain the water out. Right? And if you went there today, you would follow past the rice paddies, and you would pull into swampland, and then you would find this island with a slum on it in the middle of the swamp. Right? And then he began to ask, you know what, we've got kids here who are just getting like pummeled in waves by sickness and their teeth are rotting out. I've been the kingdom of God. That doesn't happen. Right? And so he called his buddies up again from Bible college. He said, hey, if you have any Christian dentists and doctors, I need their names. And he went and met with every single one of them. And he sat down with his little Bible certificate. And he said, this says right here that I have the authority to tell you what I'm about to tell you. There is a verse in the Bible that says that there's a special place in hell for doctors and dentists that don't come to Andong. 
And after they got done laughing, he began to share about what he was doing and the need that was there. And now, if you were to go there every day, you would find that there is a mobile dental and mobile health unit there every single day. Right? And, and then began to ask, okay, what does it look like for these men to work? And he realized that oftentimes these, these people were traveling into the city to get work, and it would almost cost as much to travel in and out in a day as they get paid for working in the day. So he found money to buy a truck. And now what Abe does is he trucks all of them in in the morning, drops them off when they work, and then he trucks them all the way back. Right? Eventually they start a preschool. And then they started a school. And then he led so many people to Jesus, now there's a church there as well. All because he began to ask, you know, what does the kingdom of God look like in this place? It's a very, very dangerous question. Right, now they actually built a, like a little bamboo coffee shop there, because we all know the kingdom of God. There's coffee in the kingdom of God. <laughs> right? And then he decided, you know what? This is 100-degree weather here, 100-degree humidity, right? And then corrugated iron slums and shanties. That's like living in a microwave. And I bet we don't have to live in a microwave in the kingdom of God. Right? And so he began to raise money. And eventually, they built thatched roofs and thatched windows forever. They've been building hundreds of them to this day. All because, wow, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom, what does the kingdom of God look like in this place? And the thing is, if you and I were to travel there, you would not want to live there. None of us would want to live there. Right? But to river squatters in Southeast Asia... That is heaven on earth. Right? And my question is, right, if a 28-year-old former marketeer can move in and transform a slum to the glory of God and usher in the kingdom, what the heck are we doing? Right? I've shared with you, I love the church. I have given my life to the church, but the church does not exist for itself. The mission of God is not that we re rearrange the fishbowl for the rest of eternity. God is up to something far more beautiful than that. And you and I have been invited into that. And so we need to ask much bigger questions. God, what does the kingdom of God look like in our city? Right, and I know that's big. Right, and I know some of us, even after first service, people are like, well, what do we do? Do we start a food drive? You know? Like, what do we do? Right, and I think the first question, the first thing we have to do is we have to shut up and listen to our city. Right, the creator of the stethoscope, you ever hear his quote? He said, you know, listen to your patients. They are telling you how to heal them. Right? And so I think for us, we need to step away from the fishbowl, plant ourselves in this community, and listen first. Right? And we will hear. We will hear where God is moving. We will see the needs. Right? People will tell you, you know what we need? Thatched ribs. You know what would be great? Dry ground. You know what would be really great? Some health care around here. You know what would really be beautiful about the kingdom of God here? If we had some coffee. All right, they will tell us, right, before we rush in and play Savior, I think we need to listen. To slow down and listen. And I don't know about you, but I'm just not interested in spending my life rearranging the fishbowl. I don't want to change the church. I want to change our city. I want to change the world. And that is what I believe we are being invited into. Let's pray. Lord God, I just confess to you the times in my life when I have been so content to sit in the fishbowl and wait. 
I confess to you the times in which I have reduced your mission in this world down to being something so small and so self-serving. Lord God, would you forgive us for this? Shame on us for when we do this. When we turn a blind eye to the needs that exist around us because it's just a lot more comfortable to retreat to the fishbowl and play church. Lord God, would you stir our hearts for our city? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? Lord God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in Lincoln as it is in heaven. And Lord God, as we come before you now and we begin to maybe think about this for the first time and to listen to what you have, Lord, we come before you as a community getting ready to pray some very dangerous, to sing some very dangerous words. That, Lord God, you will not relent until you have it all, until you have our heart, our time, our talent, our dreams, our city, our world. So, Lord God, we ask the courage, we ask for the courage to ask those questions, to listen to our city, and to follow you into the darkness where you call us to engage. The darkness where you already are. You're just waiting for us to join you in what you're already doing. So, Lord God, we come before you now.